0: My name is Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and it is great to be in the house of the Lord on this Palm Sunday with each and every one of you. As you know, this is the day that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a day of fantastic celebration. Jesus' ministry up to this point is riding high. He has been going throughout Galilee and Israel doing significant ministry. Most of Jesus' ministry took place outside the city of Jerusalem, but now he makes his way towards Jerusalem, and the city is packed. It's packed with visitors because it is the Passover celebration. The excitement is building up. The crowds are building up. It's like, it's like Times Square on New Year's Eve in America. That's what you might think Jerusalem was like on that first Palm Sunday. And while Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, he stopped by a friend's house, his friend named Lazarus, that lived not far out of Jerusalem in the town of Bethany. And he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus' popularity soared through the roof. Crowds were following. They were pressing in, waiting to see Jesus. The crowds loved him. The religious authorities, not so much. Because they were afraid, they were worried that Rome was going to get scared, that this man was getting too popular, too, too, too much. In fact, John's gospel tells us it is at this exact point that the Jewish leaders decided they had to do something and that something they decided to do was to kill Jesus because he was becoming too popular So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, it was really a very complicated political event, if you will. Yes, there was great joy and celebration on behalf of the people, but they didn't really understand everything that was happening. They shouted, Hosanna, as they cut down palm branches, and they waved them at Jesus and and laid them on the floor. Blessed is he. Who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. Hosanna to the king of kings. And then in just a few days, those same people would be shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! What happened? Maybe the people misunderstood the events of Palm Sunday. Maybe they thought Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as a victorious and conquering king, a political king, a victorious king who would overthrow the Roman occupying government. But the thing was, that's not the kind of king Jesus came to be. He didn't come to be a political king. He was not a political messiah. No, Jesus' mission was so much bigger than that. Jesus' mission was to save the entire world, to redeem the entire world from their sins, from your sins, from my sins, and to take the punishment we deserved. Today we're going to be taking a look at the story of a man who was saved from death by Jesus But unlike most of the other redemption stories that we've been studying in this series called Redemption, the man in today's story seems more like an an accidental participant in the story. His name was Barabbas, and he's mentioned just briefly, but he is mentioned in all four gospels. His story is kind of odd because his story seems almost like a little interruption in the story of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. But nevertheless, I believe his story is relevant to each and every one of us today. Now, to understand Barabbas and his story, you've got to understand a little bit of the backstory of what was happening in Israel during this period of time. Israel was under Roman occupation. That means a foreign government was occupying the land. That means they didn't have freedom like we have. They were living under an iron fist. That might be hard for us to understand because most of us have lived in a land of freedom our entire lives. We've got freedom to do what we want. And and we, the United States is a superpower. We're the power players. We're not the underdog, typically. But imagine if you would, for just a moment, if we were occupied by a foreign government, a government that, for the most part, we couldn't stand. What if all of our government leaders, what if everyone on every police force was put in place by a country like Russia, or like China, or like North Korea? How would you feel about that, living under that, would you be scared? Would you be angry? Would you go underground and work to overthrow that occupying force? Now, Jerusalem and the whole surrounding province of Judea was ruled by a ruthless man named Pontius Pilate. Both Roman and Jewish historical sources outside of the biblical record tell us that Pilate was a very corrupt man, a very corrupt governor. He took bribes from people. He violently stomped down any resistance that tried to rear itself up. He routinely did things that were offensive to the Jewish people. He would take money that was put into the temple treasury, offerings meant for God, and he would use it to do Roman projects like build an aqueduct in his province. He, he brought Roman pagan symbols into Jerusalem and into the temple, things that were offensive to the Jewish people and to the God of Israel. Now, in his encounter with Jesus, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent of all the charges that had been brought against him. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. But you see, the thing was, the Jewish leaders, they kept going around stirring up the crowd against Jesus more and more. They whipped people in a frenzy to crucify Jesus. Now, Pilate was no dummy he was shrewd. He knew that he already had a really tense relationship with the Jewish leaders. Pilate knew he was sitting on a powder keg, facing a very volatile situation. I'm reading this morning, beginning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 11. Now, Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him, Jesus replied, you have said it. Now, this is an interesting conversation. Because Jesus had already told the high priest, Caiaphas, when he was being questioned by him, that he was the Messiah. Jesus told Caiaphas, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, that would have been no concern at all to Rome, to Roman authorities, to Pilate. They didn't care about internal religious squabbles in backwater provinces. No, the Jewish leaders twisted Jesus' religious comment and instead made it into a political statement by accusing Jesus of claiming to be their king. Now that would be seen as a threat to Rome, because there was only one king, one emperor, one Caesar. And when you occupy a foreign country, you don't have any king in place unless you want that king in place, unless they are friendly to you. Pilate wasn't falling for it. He could tell that the people were jealous of Jesus because he was so popular with the people. In John's gospel account, Jesus directly tells Pilate that his kingdom isn't even of this world. And so Pilate sees absolutely no reason at all to be worried about this Jewish king. He perceives the issue to be nothing more than internal Jewish bickering. And so Pilate gets this other idea. A new idea pops into his head. He thought he could make the whole thing go away by letting the crowd make the decision. Now apparently there was a tradition at that time that the Roman governor during the Passover would allow a prisoner to go free. Kind of like a presidential pardon. Except, in this case, the people get to make the choice instead of the president pardoning his buddies. So, picking back up in Matthew, verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Now, the other gospels tell us that Barabbas was a prisoner who had participated in an insurrection. He and a group of people had risen up against the Roman occupiers. He had even committed murder, we're told, in the other Gospels. He was a well-known prisoner. He may have even been popular with some Israelites who were supportive of overthrowing the Roman government. And we don't know exactly what the insurrection that that Barabbas was a part of was all about, but history tells us that it was not very uncommon at that point of time for insurrections to rise up um, from time to time. And remember, Pilate was known to crush these kind of insurrections. He wasn't putting up with any of that stuff. And so when Barabbas was arrested, he was in trouble. Deep trouble. Capital offense kind of trouble. Because for a capital offense like this, a cross would have been his fate. And it would have awaited him at any moment. So imagine what it would be like if you were in Barabbas' shoes. You're sitting in a dirty, dingy, dank prison. You're on Roman death row. And you know that the minute your prison cell door opens, it's going to be time for you to take that long walk to your crucifixion. You have nothing left to live for. And you know your death is going to be horrific. But that's not what happened when the door opened. A soldier grabbed Barabbas and dragged him to the front of the crowd. Take a look at this video. Razseka ideá, baraba Eden man baraba O Yeshua krimi Oulah, Meshiachah, Oulamé, Oulhalel! She's a barapah! She's a She's in Barabar. She's plan completely backfired. Barabbas is brought out before the people and instead of choosing to set Jesus free, the one who's done nothing wrong, the people led by the Jewish authorities shout to have Barabbas released and Jesus crucified. It's so unfair. Why did God even put this in the Bible? This story crosses the line. I mean, on one side, you have an actual murderer, a criminal, an evil man who, according to the Roman law, deserves the chains, deserves the cross. He's exactly the kind of man that crucifixion was invented for. And on the other side, you have an innocent, beaten, and bloodied man, Jesus the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And what has Jesus done? He's loved the children. He's fed the hungry. He healed the blind man. He's forgiven the tax collector and the prostitute. He set that demon-possessed man free. That's what Jesus has done There's no comparison. These two don't belong in the same conversation yet alone. The same trial. And Pilate asks, who do you want? Jews? Which prisoner do you want me to release to you? And the crowd yells, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And so the soldiers took off his chains and they set him free. Oh, I'll bet in a matter of minutes, he was right back in with that den of thieves again, right back with those criminal insurrectionist buddies of him. He probably boasted to them yeah, you should have seen it. The crowd loved me. They picked me. They picked me to be set free. They chose me instead of that other guy. This is not an easy story in the scriptures. I mean, what what Jesus is facing is hard enough. Yet the unfairness of this passage is, it's mind-boggling. It should be Jesus, not Barabbas, who goes free. You know, as we've been exploring all of these stories of redemptions the last five weeks... It's been easy, hasn't it, to cheer for the ones who've been set free. Doesn't it warm our hearts when that prodigal son comes walking down the road home and he's embraced by his loving father? We cheer when the demon-possessed man gets set free of a, a legion of demons and a now in his right mind. We are touched by Boaz and Ruth's deep Love for Naomi. But what do we do with Barabbas? He's a scoundrel. I mean, how can we rejoice when he gets off scot-free? I'll let you in on a little secret. There's a team of us ...here at Anderson Hills that plan these sermon series. And they are planned out months in advance. This series was chosen months ago. And when Pastor John Ferguson and I sat down a couple of weeks ago... ...to begin detailing and planning today's message... ...we looked at each other and it's like... ...what were we thinking... ...when we chose to preach on Barabbas on Palm Sunday... We don't even like Barabbas. There's nothing redeeming about him. There's a whole bunch of other better redemption stories that we could have chosen for Palm Sunday. I would love to tell you that the book of Acts tells how Barabbas came to repentance and he became a believer in Jesus Christ, how he went around the Roman Empire planting churches and converting people. How he maybe died a martyr's death for his love of his Lord Jesus Christ. That would make this passage today palatable, wouldn't it? But it'd be nothing more than a far-fetched grasp at something the Bible is completely silent about. The Bible says nothing more about Barabbas. He disappears, never to be heard from again. Maybe he just went back to his life of crime. In fact, I think the Bible's silence about Barabbas after this story suggests that he did not do anything significant with his life. He didn't take that second chance that was offered to him. Because it would have made a fantastic story if he had come to repentance and followed Jesus. That would have been shared, I'm sure. It's a scandal, isn't it? The should have looked at Jesus and said, I owe you everything now. You set me free. That's not what we saw as he went down those steps. You see, Jesus was on a mission. He made it clear in the Garden of Gethsemane that if there was any other way to save humanity, he wanted that. But there was no other option. Someone had to pay the price for sin. Either the guilty sinners themselves or the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who was slain named Jesus. Pastor Judah Smith says this. He says, Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas. So that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. You see, Barabbas thought that it was the people who set him free. The people love me. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but my people, my people, they love me. Oh no. You didn't deserve it, Barabbas. You know, when I look at this story and prepared for today, I have to be honest, I don't even like Barabbas. He's guilty, but he gets away scot-free. Jesus is innocent, but he gets the cross. Barabbas stands there, a free man, as Jesus goes to the post to get whipped and then to the cross, To be crucified. Barabbas goes free. It makes us sick to our stomachs to think about it. No, it's upsetting. It it makes us angry. Who does this guy think that he is? I mean, when I see the portrayal of Barabbas in that movie, don't you just want to wring him by the neck? Don't you want to punch him in the face? Then I realize who Barabbas is. He seems to show up randomly and then just disappear. But that's not really the case. I am Barabbas. Barabbas is me, and you are Barabbas. We're all Barabbas. The name Barabbas literally means son of a father. Now, that's about the most average name you can think of, right? Son of a father. He's an average son of Adam, born into sin. A guy who makes lots of stupid choices. We all sin, and any bondage that we are in is something that we deserve because of the choices that we have made to sin in the first place. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was there at the dawn of creation, a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who is worthy of all of our worship. It is Jesus who went to the cross willingly, willingly because of his great love, because he knew that I am dead to my sins without his grace. So I am offered the gift of eternal life because of Jesus' sacrifice. No, he doesn't deserve death. But years before Jesus was even born, a prophet by the name of Isaiah wrote these words about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be holed. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yes, I am Barabbas. And God looks down and says, I love Barabbas. I wanted him to go free. I wanted him to have a second chance. God sent his one and only son for Barabbas, who God knew would walk away from him. Jesus takes your sin and your guilt and your shame, and he sets you free. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but he freely gives it to you. But like Barabbas, the choice is up to you. How are you going to respond to the love of God? The love of God that is offered so freely to you because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Could it be, could it even be that there is a God this scandalous, this generous, this inclusive with his love that he gives his life for every sinner? Yes. Yes. It is true. That's who our God is. And so the question is, what are you going to do? with that gift today. Will you pray with me? Oh, God. It is hard to fathom what you've done for us by sending your son Jesus to be a living sacrifice for us who came and was whipped and beaten and crucified so that we might be made whole. It's unbelievable that you would love everyone in the world so much, even the Barabbases of the world, even the average son of a father like every one of us here who's broken your law and deserves death, but to whom instead you offer life. Lord, as we enter this holy week on a high note with Jesus riding into Jerusalem, but quickly see how the tide turned as it led towards Thursday and Friday and Holy Saturday. We're reminded how much we need your love and how Jesus offered it to us so freely, not only in his life, death, and resurrection, but even at this table of grace at which we come to this morning. We're reminded how on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us willingly because of his great love, he took bread and broke it And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of what I'm doing for you. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, your people gathered here today, and on these gifts of bread and wine. Would you make them be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood? you use this meal to so transform us that we could never walk down those steps to the life that we used to live, but would bow down before you and worship you, and our lives would be changed forever, and this world would be different forever because of what you've offered to us. May it be so, Jesus. May it be so. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.